Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. My name is Chris, and my wife Suzanne and our daughter Devin, or Devin, two daughters. Our older daughter's not here anymore. She's out of town, but our daughter Devin uh, began attending here with us in Rain, our other daughter, six years ago. And normally we attend second service, so I'm usually seated somewhere back there, but uh, I'm going to be up front today here sharing God's Word with you, and I'm just excited to be here and to open up God's Word. And uh, one of my good friends happens to be Joel Garrison, and I asked, <laughs> I'll have to tell him you responded that way. I said, Joel, got any tips for, uh, you know, advice for me as we come to share the Word this morning? He goes, guess what he, what he told me? Yeah. yeah, you guys know Joel well. So... I brought some candy, and it's pertinent to what we're sharing this morning. You can grab one on the way out. They are Swedish fish, and as I shared with uh, the first service, they are neither Swedish nor fish, but they'll be back there, and I'd encourage you at least to take two or more, and it has very much to what we're going to look at this morning, but we're in uh, the second week of a series called This Is What We Do, and at Bridgewater Church, one of our core values is simply this, we give because he gave. And we are encouraging one another during this time to be generous as God is generous. And last week, as Pastor Tim opened up and as the other campuses opened up looking at this, we understand that we have a, a, a disposition as people to look at things as mine. When the truth is this, is that everything we have, including our life and breath and everything about us, is God's. And we are simply a steward or a manager of all that God has placed within our responsibility as a person who manages the blessing. And we're going to look more in particular at the, the, the finances or the resources that he has given us. We are stewards of those things. But as we do that, we are to put God first in all we do and to adopt a heart or an attitude or a practice of generosity because generosity is at the heart of God. We're going to take things a little, another step toward that direction of thinking like God thinks about money and finances and possessions this week. But I want to start out with an illustration as we begin this morning. How many of you folks are gardeners? Okay, about the same amount as first service. I am a reluctant gardener because I was uh, constrained into gardening by my father. When I was 11 years old, my father decided to... Uh, till up a bunch of the backyard and make a, a huge garden. And he was very good at this. And part of that gardening endeavor was a 50-foot row of green beans. And one of my jobs, besides picking rocks and doing other things in the garden, was to go out on a daily basis when those beans were getting just to the right place and pick them before they got too big and tough, bring them in for us, make sure they got to the neighbors. And then my mom actually enlisted me in another endeavor freezing beans. So I thought by the end of the summer, I was going to turn green. <laughs> and the, the truth is today, I crave them because I had nothing. There's no bean that compares to those. They're just so good. Well, anyway, my father was very savvy because when he started the garden, and this is going way back, we had this catalog called the Guernsey Seed Catalog. Well, anyway, he bought this really good strain of green beans and rather than buy seeds the next year, he would simply take some beans and dry them out and produce his own seed for the next year. And there's, some, there's a truth about seeds, not just beans, but any seed, 
And that's this. A small seed has tremendous potential, doesn't it? And here's the truth about beans. You can count the beans on a bush, but you can't count the beans in a seed. Hold on to that this morning. A small seed has an incredible amount of potential to produce. And we understand how seeds work in the world of agriculture, don't we? But there's a similar truth that runs parallel when it comes to the world of finance, when it comes to the world of resources and funding. And we need to hold on to that, but sometimes we don't get that as easily as we do with the, tact, the, the very tangible things of life. But today we're going to take a step in regarding adopting a mindset regarding money and possessions as God has a view on it. And we, make, we tend to make a rational assessment about things, and it goes kind of like this. The problem is this big, and my resources are this big. Have you ever been in that place? So there's nothing I can do about the problem or the need. I don't have the necessary resources. I'm sure we all can identify with that. And this could apply in, in, in many areas of life, but in regarding finances and money, sometimes we get a bill or a need that comes up that seems overwhelming. Sometimes we have a major repair that has to go down, such as a furnace or something like that, and you're like, wow, uh, where is this coming from? Maybe we are encouraged to give toward a goal that a group or an organization, even such as us as a local church, a local church is trying to do, a missional goal. And you say, wow, that's awful big. And in light of how big that is, and in light of what I have, what on earth could I do? What on earth could I do? And thinking this way and becoming overwhelmed tends to push us to a place where we underestimate what we can do with what we have at hand, what we can do. And sometimes we miss opportunities. Sometimes when we consider ourselves lacking, we start counting what it might cost. We start asking the question, how much does this cost? And we can wind up in a bad place because the book of Proverbs talks about people who uh, went down that road and it says, don't eat with people who are stingy. Don't desire their delicacies. They are always thinking about how much it costs. Eat and drink, they say, but they don't mean it. So it can impair our generosity when we are continually counting up the costs and saying, I, I can't do a thing. It's costing me too much. Today we're going to look at a, a situation with the disciples of Jesus Christ when he was serving on this earth and preaching the kingdom and telling people about their need to repent and to turn to the Father. And as he was working with his disciples, he was not only reaching people and meeting their needs and helping connect the physical to the spiritual, but he was encouraging his disciples who would follow him and join him in the building of the church that's continuing today because he started it with them when he ascended into heaven. We're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000. And this appears in all of the Gospels, but in particular, we're going to look at the book of Matthew in chapter 14 this morning and maybe uh, reference a couple other passages that pertain to this. And look at the lesson that the disciples had to learn, but also one that's very important for us to learn as well. Let's start in chapter uh, 14 of Matthew, verses 13 and 14 this morning. As soon as Jesus had heard the news, 
he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from his boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So as Jesus and his disciples were in the throes of ministry, some things were going on in their lives. For Jesus, he just found out that his cousin John the Baptist, the one that God had put on this earth to herald the Messiah's arrival, was killed. He was in grief, and he had to keep on going on. And if you've ever grieved, I'm sure we all have, it seems like life is just spinning around and no one understands what's going on in their life. Don't you know who I just lost? Don't you know where my heart's at? And he was in that place. And his disciples had just been, according to the book of Mark, on a ministry trip that Jesus sent them out on. He sent them out to preach the kingdom. And they were coming back and they were going to share the stories and kind of debrief on what happened. And they were worn out. So Jesus and his disciples were wanting to get away, to recharge, to, re to rest and reflect. And they were going to the north end of the Sea of Galilee, into the wilderness, and they were going to have a retreat. It sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Get out of town and just relax. But people found out they loved to be around Jesus. They loved what was happening, and they got there ahead of them. And Jesus' response was probably far different than what mine would have been if I was tired, if I was worn out emotionally, if I was hungry, because it says also in the Gospels that Jesus and the disciples ministered to these people all day and never ate. And I know if I hit about 2 o'clock and I have not eaten, um, I need to be isolated. I am not a, good, not a good co-worker, okay? But Jesus shows us the heart of God because he ministered to these people. As we read on in Matthew 14, 15, it says this. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. They were out in the countryside and there was nowhere nearby for them to get food in an easy manner. So their plan was this, and it was a rational plan. Let's get these folks out and disperse them so they can get some food because the last thing you want is a crowd this large, hungry and angry, and have to deal with that. But they were caring about them. They wanted to see their needs met. So they concluded that this was the best course of action, but Jesus had something else in mind because we read on in verses 16 and 17. But Jesus said, this isn't necessary. You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Jesus doesn't criticize the disciples because they had a rational plan. He doesn't tell them they have an incomplete perspective. He just says, you know what you need to do? You need to feed them. And it seemed rather impossible. We just looked at that, that slide that says the problem is, or the need is this big, and what we have is this big. I would imagine they were feeling a little bit overwhelmed. But Jesus had been priming them earlier in the day. And sometimes, like a child, I need to hear things repeated, repeated, repeated. And he was repeating something he had shared that day. Look in the book of John chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, 
He asked, where can we buy bread to feed these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we couldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that in this huge crowd? Kind of coming to that rational conclusion, right? So Jesus uh, told them, you know what? You need to think about where you can obtain bread. He didn't ask them to calculate the cost, but he asked them this. Go look for a place where you can buy bread. Also, he said this. He had asked them earlier, according to the book of Mark, look amongst the crowd and see what is on hand. And Andrew, isn't that a bummer for Andrew? If you're a sibling and people always refer to you not by your name, but your sibling, you're so-and-so's brother or sister, poor Andrew, but he, he dealt with it. Andrew gave him a report. He says, hey, there's five barley loaves and two little two fish. This young boy had it and he brought it forward. But the disciples in, such, in light of such a, a big need, they're asking this question, what can we afford? Philip said, you know how long we would have to work to buy food? Incredibly long time. And I'm sure we've asked that question. What can I afford? And that is a natural question. What can I afford? What can I afford? And it's, a, it's responsible on our part because the scriptures actually tell us we should count the cost before we enter into things, shouldn't we? But in God's economy, there's a better question. And it's this. The better question is, what do I have? The better question is, what do I have? What, do, what resources do we have, you and I have, even in light of such a large need? Remember last week, we were looking at the truth that God owns everything, including us? That's an assurance because God is the possessor of all things. And if he asks us to address a need, he's going to supply for that need. And in the next uh, section of scripture, we're going to see where things come together because Jesus, who is God, who created the world by his word and his power, is going to give them the direction that they can trust. He says, you feed them. And here's what he says, bring them here. Matthew 14, 18, bring me those five loaves and two fish. And this is where it all hinges. The disciples gave what they collected to the Lord. They were thinking to send the people away. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. And solely from a human perspective, that minuscule amount of food has no consequence in feeding that many people. But in God's hands, things turn around, don't they? Matthew 14, 19 through 21. Then Jesus told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. So in our human thinking, this doesn't make sense, right? Jesus took a bag lunch, blessed it, broke it, started distributing it, 
and 20,000 people approximately were fed. And there were leftovers. That amount of people, just to put it in perspective, could fill the average NBA or large events arena. And when they took the leftovers away, it would fill approximately three tractor trailer holes of food. It's like uh, when a meal's provided at times, they kind of base the quantity of the meal on the average person. Now, um, when I get the average portion that's given out, I'm still hungry. I mean, look at me. Uh, here's the truth about what happened. They all ate not just an average portion. They ate their fill. It's like Doug's fish fry pulled up, and they ate fish sandwiches until they couldn't stand it. And they were, there were leftovers. And it's an amazing miracle that Jesus did. So just simply to recap this, I, I remember I had a children's storybook Bible when I was a kid. And I, this is like the old days. Looking through those things and all the illustrations. And I always loved looking at the miracles of Jesus. And this one in particular. So let's recap this. Jesus helps them to ask the better question. What do I have? The disciples give what they have. And they first came from that little boy who had a heart to give. Say, I got something. He had faith. God blesses what was given, and he multiplies what is blessed. Just spend a moment on that. You know what? It defies our logic how when we give stuff to God, we don't fall short. He takes care of our needs, and he multiplies it. And we, in so many ways, can't explain it, but it happens. And then further, the need is met with leftovers. There's an abundance, and that's the heart of God. He blesses not only now, but he blesses abundantly. But here's, the, here's, the, here's where it all hinges. The miracle didn't start until the food left the disciples' hands. The food left the disciples' hands. Now, it's important for us to think about this in re regards to giving. And I think we need to be clear on why we give. What is our motivation for giving? Because our core value as a church is this or one of our five core values, we give because he gave. Talking about God the Father, talking about Jesus Christ, because he gave. When we give, there's some reasons we can give that maybe aren't so noble or glorifying to God. Sometimes we might give because we know God's going to take care of us, and maybe we give sometimes because we want to get. Maybe sometimes we give because we want to impress, but we shouldn't give to impress. Maybe sometimes we give and we feel good, and that's not a bad thing, but we should give regardless of how we feel. But thank God, you know, it's a, it's a good feeling to give, but we shouldn't just do it for that purpose. At the heart of giving should be this, driving our giving. It's an act of worship because we're responding to a God who is generous at heart and giving at heart. And I believe there's one scripture, there's a lot of scriptures that highlight that, but one that we all know, and we can say from memory, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. See, Jesus Christ came to this earth to fulfill that mission. You know, we're going to celebrate Christmas in, the, in just a short time. And we celebrate at Christmas time the truth and the reality that 
God the Son left heaven, left glory, and he came here to be one of us. He lived life. He lived in the limits of life. He lived in the pain and the sorrow and the joy and the happiness of life. He came and he lived a perfect life. And he died sacrificially for a problem that is way bigger than we could ever solve on our own. In fact, if you took the collective resources of anyone who has ever lived, it could never solve the issue or the problem of the curse of sin and death. We could never pay with our own life what Jesus paid for with his. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, to conquer sin and death, and he rose from the dead, and he offers life to anyone who will call upon him by faith and receive the gift of what he purchased with his own life and his own sacrifice. He leads us when we receive that gift into a life that God created us for in the beginning. New life, being a new creation, walking with him. That's when, I love that song that we sing, that's when death was arrested and my life began. Jesus Christ took captive what was holding me captive. He died my death and he gave me life. And if you know him, he did the same thing for you. And if you reach out to him today, he can give you that same life. And a relationship with the Father through what he did. And as we walk with him, he generously and freely leads us into a life where we not only experience forgiveness and freedom, but we experience the ability to rise above ourselves and to adopt the mindset of God and the heart of God in the way we live. He can help us by the Spirit of God leading us into a new way of thinking and living and loving and giving and being generous. Jesus says it's this, he came to give us life and give us abundant life, life that is truly life. And as last week's message in chapter 9 was shared, we were encouraged by Pastor Tim to be generous as God is generous, to take on that attitude and that way of living. And there's a verse that comes at the end of that chapter that has been drilled in, into my heart because I have had people in my life, thank God, that have shared God's word and they lived God's word. And they just, there's always these verses I'm reminded of, but the person who taught me that verse comes along with it. And there was a Sunday school teacher I had growing up, her name's Sally. And she always used to quote this verse, thanks be to God, and this is in the King James, for his unspeakable gift or his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God. You know, God met our greatest need, a need that, that was so overwhelming to be restored to God, to have our sin forgiven. That's certainly reason to give thanks, isn't it? And not only did he meet that need, but he takes care of us in, a, in so many ways. He's ahead of us when the needs come up. They do not surprise him. So how can we give to God? We can give, first of all, acknowledging that he's the owner. Or he's he's the, the maker of all things. It's his. We need to respect that as, as his servants and as his stewards. We can give with an attitude of gratitude, a heart of thankfulness for all he has given and continually gives to us. When we give to God, we need to understand that the things that face us, although they are big, do not need to overwhelm us. Do not need to overwhelm us. We just simply need to ask, as Jesus said, what do you have? Take inventory of what God has placed 
into the realm of our stewardship and then place them back in the hands of Jesus and simply trust God to work in a mighty way. And never underestimate, as we talked about the seed, right? Never underestimate what a little thing can do in the hands of God. Something in seed form. I want to share a story this morning about a, a seed that was given a number of years ago that had major impact. Um, does anyone remember when Franklin Graham came to town? Okay, that was a while ago. So I happened to be on a church staff at that point, and we went, few, me and a few church members went to uh, Norfolk, I'm saying this right, Norfolk, Virginia, to uh, Billy Graham School of Evangelism. And it was an encouraging couple days because, you know, we're getting stirred up and encouraged to, to have the heart of God regarding people, right? To understand that it's the greatest blessing in life to be able to share the gospel and to share Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and what he can do for you. And in the context of that course, that couple days, I had a speaker that was sharing, and his name's Don Wilton. And Don Wilton was originally from South Africa. He was a pastor. And he was sharing an experience that he had as a seminary student because when he was a seminary student, he was attending a school in New Orleans. And he and another student were going out one night to get some food because their families were getting together and they were going to have just to have some snacks. So on the way to the supermarket, they got outside and there's a, a, a man and a woman holding a baby sitting on a wall eating some donuts. And they looked like they were in rough shape. And God impressed on Don's heart, you know what, we ought to help these people out. So he turned to his friend and he says, I'll give everything in my pocket if you'll give everything in yours. So they put their resources together and he went over behind the man and he put his hand on his shoulder. He says, don't turn around. He goes up, but I want you to take this gift from us and realize how much we love you. But even more so, I want you to realize how much Jesus loves you. And I hope this helps you out. And he walked away. And the man never saw him. Now, you'd think that's the end of the story. Sometimes the, the giving we give in uh, just uh, that context, we don't see the end result, do we? But a number of years later, Don Wilton, who became Dr. Don Wilton, was teaching at a seminary in New Orleans. And there was a guy that came up to him one day after chapel. And he says, I don't know if you remember me, but... Um, did you come up behind somebody at a supermarket so many years ago and say, hey, take this, don't turn around? And he's like, oh, yeah. He goes, that was me. And you know how he identified him? Remember I said he's South African? He had a South African accent with a little New Orleans smoke in it. And uh, there, he's like, I could never forget that voice. And when I heard you speak today, I knew exactly who you were. And he told him this. He says, you know what we were doing? We were homeless, living in our car. We cruised into town and ran out of gas. We emptied the ashtray and got a box of donuts because that was going to be our last meal. Because my wife and I had resolved we're going to take our baby and jump off the highest bridge in town. And he said, you know what? When you gave us that gift, and you know, you think about a gift you give to somebody who's like out, down and out. What's that going to do? But he said, when, when you gave that to us and told us God loved us, we figured we got to, we can't quit. 
So they went and got a gas can, got gas in their car, went back to the countryside where they lived. And you know, God was there before them. They were able to find some work and some help. And in an even a bigger way, they came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And as God worked in this man and his wife and his family, he led him to ministry. And he went to seminary to prepare for that. And when he went to seminary, he met a man who gave a little gift to an overwhelming situation. Never knew what would become of it. But God gave him the opportunity to see what happened. His life was turned around. And I just think it's important for us to remember that when a situation or a problem or a need looks so overwhelming, don't lose heart. But say, Lord, what can, I, what can I do? Take me, use me, take what you've given me, and, and take it and multiply it. It's yours. And purpose in our heart to give. I shared a story at the first service, and I'll just share it briefly here this morning. You know, the vision campaign that we are, uh, is out, that's out before us has a goal of $500,000, and it's a noble goal to raise that money because there are needs for the ministry to, uh, for Tunkhannock to uh, get their campus ready for the, the growing amount of people there. There's some physical facility needs down at the main office. And there are community gatherings, and there's one in Hancock, New York, that uh, is supported by the giving and the generous giving of the folks at Bridgewater Church through God's blessing. <clears throat> I grew up outside of Hancock. And I remember a couple months ago, Pastor Jeff was sharing with me that this was going on. I didn't know what was happening. I knew there was a core group of people there and wasn't sure what was happening. He goes, oh, we're doing these community gatherings. And I'm like, wow. Because um, while there are some gospel lights kind of surrounding that immediate area in the, the town itself, it's a pretty dark place. So my wife and I and our daughter went down on the 29th of October, and Susan tried to invite a number of people. And what, she invited one of my, a lot of my sisters and brother. And my one sister walks in, and we were there. She, she in good Tracy fashion, came in about five minutes late. So we're, we're standing there, and she comes down the aisle, and I'm like, whoa, hey. So she came over and sat with us. So afterwards, we're saying, hey, Ruth, how did you hear about this. Did you get Susan's message? She's like, no, I got a postcard. And uh, it told me about Bridgewater and it told me about what was going on. I figured, you know what? I got to work later. I'm going to come here and check it out. I won't go into detail about what my sister's going through and what her family's dealing with, but uh, she's been disconnected from a, a local church ministry for some time. She's a believer. And I'm praying that she'll uh, find that connection and work toward connecting with Bridgewater Hancock. And the thing is, is that I want to thank whoever just gave enough, and it could be any one of us, to get a postcard to her house. Because that was the catalyst. A small little thing, but I am trusting that God's going to do big things in her life as a result of her connection with God's people and what God's doing. We give because he gave. I want to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. And remember this, thanks be to God 
for his indescribable gift, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we are grateful to be able to gather here and to offer up our thanks for what you have done for us. The Bible tells us that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, we had no thought of you, but you were thinking of us. That you sent your son to take our place, to die our death. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did that. But not only that you did that, but you rose in victory from the grave. And that you can give us the life that you meant for us to have before we fell into sin. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to walk in newness of life. That with our whole heart, that we would love you and seek you. And in turn, God, that you would help us to love others with that same love that spills over in us. And Lord God, as we follow you, we understand very clearly that you provide for our needs, that you are the one that uh, not only has made us, but you supply everything we need. And God, I pray that you would help us to uh, just know in our heart and lead us to be people who are givers and people who are generous like you are. And Lord, may we not just do this because you are compelling us to do it. May we do it because we are so grateful for what you've done and continue to do for us. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would multiply your work both within and without and that you would build your church up and let God that you would uh, reach people with the gospel. And we thank you for this opportunity we have as a local church to do that. We pray your blessing upon the, the campaign, but even more so the lives that will be reached. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand with us in response to this morning's message?